Hey, so welcome wherever you are watching from and whenever you're watching from, whether it is one of our live stream services at 8.15, 9.30, or 11, or you are watching along with one of the uh, on-demand services. A couple things with that. At 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings right now, which you're watching this, you probably already missed it, uh, but at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, we are doing a live message only. It's smaller, it's under the pergola outside, but you're more than welcome to come to that. And as part of talking about these Sunday morning live streams and things like that, there are also, as Jenna said just a moment ago, some things for your kids to do, where they have their own YouTube channel and they have some lessons that go along with that. And we are doing, like she said, home delivery of the boxes and of crafts and all the things that go along with that. And so if you've been wondering you know, how to get one of those boxes and you never swung by here, we will bring it to you. That's how committed we are. Uh, at the end of the service, you'll get a little QR code. Just hold your phone up to the TV, uh, scan that. It'll come up on that link tree that comes along with all of that stuff. Also, in the middle of the message, you're going to get a slide. And that during that slide, you can take care of your kids if you need to, go get some coffee, uh, maybe even journal some answers to the one question that I'm going to ask. But it's there to be able to give you a break halfway through before we keep going. Now, if you have a smart device, you can download this uh, app. It is called Uversion. When you download Uversion, you click on More and then Events. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get the sermon notes, verses, questions, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors at Element. If you would like to where you are, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And this is Acts 23, verse 11. And no, this isn't an old live stream. This is actually week 36, but we're looking at an old verse that we looked at before to kind of bring us through where we're going today. So Acts 23, verse 11 says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would take us today and have us understand all the places you take us to in our lives, that we would listen to the things that you have said, that we would testify about who you are, exactly where we are, and that we would trust you in all of our circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves, uh, just like the Apostle Paul did. Teach us today to hear your words as you speak to us. Amen. Amen. So today, as I said, we are in week 36 of our Acts series, part Two, and I told you last week that I'm totally slowing down right now to look at a couple things that happened in the last couple of chapters. The first thing that we talked about last week is Paul says that he wishes everyone was as he is, but without the chains that he is in. When he says this, he is talking to a Jewish royalty, this king named Agrippa, and Agrippa is like, Paul, are you trying to convince me to be a Christian? And in Acts 26, verse 29, Paul says, yes, I am. He says, except for these chains, except for these chains, meaning he wanted everyone to know Jesus and love Jesus and walk with him, but he didn't want everyone to have to end up incarcerated for their faith. And it's interesting that Paul says that, because even though Paul didn't wish that for anyone, that has kind of been throughout history what happens to a lot of followers of Jesus. Now, I know in our culture today, if you watch the, the news or read certain periodicals, they always want to claim that Christianity is responsible 
responsible for all the atrocities in the world. And sometimes, in some places, Christians are responsible for stuff like that. We can't blame that on Jesus. We blame that on people. But really, Christians throughout the ages have been those who stood for the righteousness of who God is and wanted to bring peace and healing and reconciliation. Christians throughout ages have been put to death and imprisoned for standing up for the right thing because it was the right thing. Christians today are even still being displaced. And believe it or not, many of the asylum seekers that are coming to America right now that are being turned away, many of them are actually Christians. Uh, Christians have gone to jail for fighting for human rights. Uh, Martin Luther King did. Uh, Today, Christians still fight against human trafficking and sex trafficking and slavery. Many Christians fight for equality among all people. And some people will look at what's happened with Christianity in the past and say, well, Christianity, they they just want to be a violent people. Yale theologian Miroslav Volf says, as far as Christianity goes, it will only be violent if it is stripped of its content, if it is thinned out and infused with a different set of values. This is why when Martin Luther King Jr. confronts racism in the white church in the South, he called on those churches not to become more secular, but to become more, quote-unquote, Christian, to follow more closely with our Lord. I know today a lot of people think that if we want to end racism, we have to listen to this author or follow this movement or do this thing. What we really need to do is get following the Lord and the God who has rescued and saved us, the one who has called us to himself. Uh, Martin Luther King knew the answer to racism and violence was not less Christianity, but a deeper and truer following of the God who has rescued and saved us. Now, I know Martin Luther King had had a bunch of issues in his life, but he also did know the scriptures. And the scriptures that speak about this God who rescues us, that calls us to pray for those who persecute us, to turn the other cheek. This is who King followed. And in the end, he is imprisoned, and ultimately it costs him his life, just like the Apostle Paul. Now open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Uh, Paul wants people to be like him, loving and following Jesus, but hopefully not having to also have those chains. He wants the freedom that Christianity brings, but hopefully not the incarceration that he was in. And so this week, we're going to end chapter 26 by talking about if Paul's words were hasty back in chapter 25 when he appeals to Caesar, when he might have been able to be let go, but he says, I appeal to Caesar instead. Uh, there are, there's actually some things that take place in this where Paul maybe could have gotten out of his chains, but he doesn't. So Acts 26, verses 30 to 32, these are the last verses in chapter 26. And it says, And the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Again, this is why some people think that Paul's words were hasty. Because in 20, chapter 25, he appeals to Caesar, and if he didn't, he could have been let go. I used to think Paul's words were hasty. I don't think that anymore, and I'm going to walk you through why I don't think that is. And it starts with the verse I had you stand for if you stood up at the beginning of the message, Acts 23, verse 11, where Jesus comes to Paul in the middle of the night when he's in jail and says, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, up to this point, when Jesus speaks these words, Paul really thinks his story is going to end with his death in Jerusalem. If you want to, flip over to Acts chapter 21. 
In Acts 21, there's a bunch of people saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die if you go there. And Paul says in Acts 21, verse 13, he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, where do you think Paul got that idea? Dying in Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel. Well, he got it from Jesus himself, because that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He speaks the word of God and God's work in the world. He is arrested for crimes against the Jews and the Roman Empire, and he is crucified. Paul sees the same thing in his life. He goes to Jerusalem. He preaches the gospel. He gets arrested. He goes to trial after trial after trial. And most likely, again, he's thinking he's going to die there in this place. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to die here. You are going to testify, be my witness, all the way to the city of Rome. Paul has an idea of how he thinks his life is going to go, and Jesus shows up and gives him a detour. You're going to go this direction. Now, obviously, the detour was Paul's detour because Jesus knew exactly what he was going to have Paul do. And Paul, at this point, doesn't know exactly how he is going to testify, how he's even going to get to Rome, but Jesus said he's going to get there, so he is going to get there. And I think it is good to bear repeating that this word for testify or witness, it's this word in the Greek called martyreo. And you really got to say it with like a godfather kind of accent. Martyreo. That's my godfather accent. Maybe you could try it, whatever yours sounds like. I, I don't know. But this is where we get our word martyr from. Now, when we think of the word martyr, we think of someone who's going to die. But originally, that word, all it meant was taking a stand for something, speaking about something. Like if an American soldier, you know, salutes a flag. He says, I'm standing for this. Uh, you have Sarah McCool, and she loves Britney Spears, so she wears the sparkle and all the weird stuff, and, you know, she takes a stand for Britney Spears. But you, then you have Paul standing before the Sanhedrin and all these different officials talking about the resurrection. I stand for the truth of this. I am a witness for this. The word martyr comes to be what we know it to mean today because of what happened for all the people who stood up for the cause of Christ. They all got killed. And today, if I say to you, oh, I've got a martyr story, what do you think? Oh, well, that person's going to die. Exactly, because that's what it came to mean. Now, Paul's story is going to end with his death in Rome, but it doesn't happen in the book of Acts. Here, he is simply told, you're going to bear witness about me in Rome. Now, all the way back in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus rises from the grave, he tells all of his disciples this. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The end of the earth for the disciples would have been Rome. That's really the ends of the earth. And if you look at chapter 24 to chapter 26, there are all these sections, if your Bible breaks it out this way. There is Paul's trial before Felix, Paul's trial before Festus, Paul before Agrippa and Bernice, and then there's one that says Paul appeals to Caesar. So you know where it's all going, where it's going to end up. And you get all these long trials and all these speeches about the gospel, but this is Paul's road to Rome, fulfilling what Jesus said was going to happen. When Paul is arrested, he is in the temple. He is accused of bringing a Gentile into the sacred space. Now, we don't know if he did that or not. Everything points to the fact that he didn't do that, but this is how it all starts. And a riot breaks out, and he is arrested. When he is arrested, he will go and stand before the Jewish high court known as the Sanhedrin. He will have a conversation with the high priest, the most important person in Judaism. And partway through, the high priest will have someone punch Paul 
in the face. And that's kind of how, how that goes. Paul reacts poorly, calls him some names because he doesn't realize it's the high priest. Then he apologizes. But then right after this, Paul is transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea because he claims his rights as a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he can get a Roman trial. It's not that the Roman courts were any better than the Jewish courts. It's just that there wasn't all this prejudice against Paul at that point. So he'd probably get a better deal there. So what happens is he gets transported over to Caesarea. And there, there is a governor. His name is Felix. This is the guy that replaces Pontius Pilate. And so Felix is there. And Paul will testify in front of this governor, this procurator named Felix. After two years, another governor shows up named Festus. And then Paul will testify about the resurrection and his own conversion in front of Festus. And then another guy will come in named King Agrippa, and Paul will testify in front of King Agrippa. So Paul goes from the Jewish high court, a very important place, to a couple Roman governors before Jewish royalty. Anybody who had any power in Paul's day, Paul stood in front of. And what does he speak of? The simple message of his own conversion, of what God did in his life to draw Paul to himself. He speaks of resurrection and the hope of the gospel. Now, you've got to understand how weird this actually is. It'd be like if you got in trouble for doing something, and you went and stood before our governor, and then Congress, and then the President of the United States, and for good measure, they brought over the Pope and the Queen of England. It'd be like, that just doesn't happen. Exactly. It just doesn't happen. And it is so inconceivable that Paul actually spoke in front of all of these people. Paul, again, makes that simple defense of his life and how Jesus rescued him in front of all of these people. But again, it is just like Jesus. You know, Jesus stands in front of the Sanhedrin. It's the same court. Jesus stands in front of the high priest. The high priest will also have Jesus punched in the face to shut him up. Paul will then go and stand before, or Jesus will go and stand before Pilate the governor. And then he will also stand before Herod Antipas, the Jewish royalty. Everything that Jesus did, Paul did as well. And Luke is drawing all these parallels between the two. Now, open your Bibles to John chapter 18. Keep your place in in Acts, but flip over to John chapter 18. And I'll show you something really interesting in how John speaks about this as well. This is John 18, 33 through 38. And it says, So Pilate, again, that's the governor, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because in Rome there is no king but Caesar. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Interesting response, trying to get Pilate to think about what he's saying. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now, it seems a little cryptic, but essentially what Jesus is saying is my kingdom doesn't function like all of your kingdoms. You know, my kingdom is different. It doesn't wrestle power from people. It's not beating people into submission. Verse 37, Then Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. That's not Jesus denying it. It's like, well, now that we've got that figured out, let's then have a conversation. Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness. And that is the word testify. Martyreo. That's that's the word right there. To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
And this is what Jesus has been testifying about the entire time, the truth. This is what Paul testifies about, the truth of the kingdom of God. This is what we are called to testify about, the truth of the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say to Pilate, let me go. Paul does not say to all the places he goes, let me go. Because where they are, they're taking this whole idea of, I'm going to bear witness to the truth exactly where I am. How does Pilate respond to Jesus' words? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. How does the last trial in Acts 26 end with Paul? The Roman governor and the Jewish royalty both say they find no fault in him. It is pretty remarkable. Uh, Paul and Jesus both bear witness to the kingdom of God, which, can, which transcends all of their circumstances, no matter where they are. We see through Jesus' life how he bears witness to the truth, how Jesus lives the life we should have lived, how he then dies our own death for us to bring us to life. He then rises from the grave, and Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah who came and rescued him and took his sins upon himself so that Paul could live a free, true, new, real life. And that is what Paul bears witness about. And we as a people should bear witness about that as well. So here's my slide. If you need to take a moment and take care of your kids, get some coffee, pause it, answer the question. Here's my question for you. How in your life right now are you testifying or bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's my question. Okay, now we're going to keep going. So Paul ends up in a spot that he never, ever saw coming. Uh, This is almost like every part of our own lives. Like almost every single one of us have a vision for our life and how we think it is going to go. Uh, Many times when you're young, it's dumb because you think everything's going to work out right. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get married by this age. I'm going to have 2.3 kids by this age. I don't know what a .3 kid looks like, but, you know, whatever. Every one of my kids is going to be a perfect angel. I'll have the perfect job by this age. I'll lead this many people to Christ by, by, by this age. And life never goes the way we plan. Our life is full of detours, though they're not detours to God. God knows where he's taking us. But our lives, when we see them, look like they're full of left turns. Your, your kids don't listen. Uh, maybe you don't get married, or you don't find the right person, or you stay single, or you get married, and you find out the person you married is a total nut job. You know, there's all these things, or the, the job you thought you wanted that was going to be perfect for your life is, a, is the worst fit for your personality. You know, look at Paul. He's a rabbi, a Pharisee, could have had a whole lot of power and prestige. He's thinking he's, he's working for God by getting rid of those pesky Christians. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up, blinds him, and calls him, and then changes him. And then he sends Paul out to speak to all of these people so they would also become those pesky Christians as well. The people that Paul first despises in the world, he goes out, he becomes one of, and then tries to get everybody else to become like him except for these chains, obviously. Paul ends up in a place that he never saw coming. But that's okay for him, because he trusted Jesus through it all. For us, what do we do in our life when it doesn't go how we predetermined it should? I guarantee you, none of us thought this year was going to go the way that it has gone. But how do we respond in that? We are called to be a people who trust Jesus and focus on the gospel and what he did through it all testifying to that good news of who he is and how he rescues us. Now, Paul will eventually move on to start going to Rome. You'll start looking at that next week and, and what happens. But open your Bibles up back up to uh, Acts 24. 
In Acts 24, verse 16, Paul is standing in front of the Sanhedrin and Felix the governor. And he will say this in the middle of his message to them as he keeps talking about the simple message of his conversion and what Jesus did. He will say, Acts 24, verse 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. At this point, again, Paul is falsely accused. He deserves better than he's getting, but yet he says he strives for a clean or a clear conscience. He doesn't strive for people to understand that he has been railroaded or that they understand the injustice done to him and he wants to feel justified. What he wants is a clean conscience between God and man because of what he does for the sake of bearing witness. And what is that? Well, you go to Acts 24, verse 25. He is speaking to Felix again and Felix's wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish. And Paul reasons with them about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but these words are words that Drusilla would have understood because she was Jewish. And she would have explained these concepts to her husband, Felix. But they don't have any real faith in who the real God actually is. They only believe in traditions. So Paul takes what they know. And he says, this is who I was, and these are the things I followed. I understand everything that you think you have to do with your traditions. But everything was meant to lead us to the foot of Jesus. And so he takes all that they know and relates it to Jesus and speaks about that. And what does he get for his effort? Left in jail for two more years. But Paul then still accepts those circumstances. And he speaks about that righteousness wherever he is and that Jesus took that coming judgment upon himself. And through all of this, Paul doesn't defend himself on why he was arrested. He takes what he is given in the circumstance that he's given and speaks about Jesus. Now, let me show you where Paul stayed for these two years. So right now, here's a picture, and this picture is an artist's representation of what Herod built, his palace in Caesarea. Caesarea, uh, what Herod wanted was a port city because there wasn't one, so he built one, which even today, historical architecture, like it is an amazing thing that he built. He wanted a, a freshwater inland pool. He's on the Mediterranean Sea, but he wants a freshwater pool. So he builds one that is just gigantic. You'll see it in one of those pictures. Now, here, here's another picture. And this is a picture where I'm actually standing, you can see, in this little room. And if you look way across the bay over there, you'll see where Herod's palace is. This was all considered his palace area. And this where I'm standing is probably one of the places that Paul might have actually stayed while he was there. And so when he gets called over, he always has to walk a a pretty long distance to get to where he's going. But Paul stays in this place for two years. And what does he do for those two years? Does he just give up when he's got a shelter in place and shelter at home? No, what he does is he writes the majority of the New Testament from this place. We get books like 2 Corinthians and Ephesians and maybe even the book of Romans from here while he's in this place. Did Paul plan to be there for two years? No. Did Paul see it coming? No. Is Paul writing the book of Romans going, this will be part of the New Testament, this will be great? No. He is just bearing witness by living in the circumstances where God has actually placed him continuing to speak of God's grace and his goodness where he is. Jesus told Paul, you will testify about me, you will bear witness in Rome. But is he in Rome? No. So Paul is probably thinking, okay, how am I going to get there? He knew at this point he probably wouldn't die before he got to Rome, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be beaten or whipped or next week get stuck in a shipwreck. You know? And so after a couple of years of being in Caesarea, Festus, that new proconsul, offers to send Paul back to Jerusalem in front of the Sanhedrin for another religious trial. 
And Paul's probably thinking, if I go there, they're going to kill me on the way. So instead, what he does is he appeals to Caesar. And that's very important because it sees that Paul has settled down into how he understands how he's going to get to Rome now. In Acts uh, 25, you want to flip there, just one chapter over, verse 10 and 11, it says, But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. That's because he's a Roman citizen. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. Those are very courageous words, by the way. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And right here, Festus may have been just trying to get rid of Paul and send him back for the religious trial. And Paul saw it and said, no, you can't do that. I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. This goes back to 300 years before Paul's day, where a law was enacted that any Roman citizen could appeal to the highest court in the land. It doesn't mean that Caesar saw every case, but his court did, like, kind of like the Supreme Court. Acts 25, verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. I think Paul finally gets, after two years of sitting in custody, how he will actually get to Rome. Like if Jesus came up to you and Jesus says, hey, you're going to testify about me in Rome. You would probably think, okay, so I need to get a plane ticket and do this and that and think of all the ways to get there. Paul is probably thinking, okay, originally, okay, I'm going to get out of jail and I got off on my way to Rome. And now after two years, he realizes that he is going to go to Rome, but it's going to be in chains. That he's not going to be a freed person when he goes there. And Paul is going to go and testify exactly as he has in all these other places while still in chains of the goodness of Jesus while still in those chains. That's how Paul bears witness to the world as a prisoner. And to Rome he goes. How does Paul have courage in the midst of this just to keep going? Well, number one, obviously he knows Jesus. But secondly, he trusts that what God is doing is so much bigger than his circumstances, so much bigger than where we are. Again, this goes to COVID. No, none of us knew COVID was going to go on this long as it is and keep going to we don't know when it's going to end. But we can trust that God is bigger than our circumstance. God's truth is bigger than Paul being stuck in prison, feeling like he can't get anything done. Paul's vision is of the largeness of the plan and the kingdom of God. That's what we have to understand. Too often we sit around waiting for the right moment or the right time or the right this or, right, or the right that to testify and bear witness to the gospel. But if you look at Paul and Jesus as well, every moment is a moment where how we live and what we say and how we act can be a moment to speak about the gospel. If you look throughout the scriptures, this is what God always does. He keeps giving these simple commands to people that we make way harder than they are. Uh, you go to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, fill the earth, steward it well. Actually, it sounds like a lot of fun if you understand what God's saying. How do they do that? Well, in ways that honor God. It, it's simple. Love, serve, glorify Him. You go to Abraham. God shows up this guy named Abraham in the Old Testament. He says, go to the land I'm going to show you. Okay, where? J just follow me. Okay, why? Because you're going to be a blessing. I want you to bless people. Seems rather generic. Become a blessing in ways that honors God. But it's very simple. You get to Moses. Be my deliverer. How? By being me to Pharaoh. Just speak to Pharaoh on, on my behalf. What does that mean? You speak truth. You testify. You be a blessing. You honor God where you are. This constantly goes throughout the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes and takes these guys who really were rejects from everywhere else and makes them his disciples and grows them and trains them. And at the end, after Jesus dies and resurrects, in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the 
name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Well, oh my goodness, that's got to be a lot. No, what does Jesus says the law boils down to? Love God, love others. It's, it's, God is always trying to make it simple for us because he knows we try and overcomplicate this all the time. And then he goes to Paul. Paul, you're going to testify about me in Rome. He doesn't give Paul some 10-point plan. Of this it's just, Paul, just do what you did in Jerusalem. Keep speaking of me and how I have rescued you and called you to myself. Speak of me in ways that remain faithful to what I have done in your life with that clean conscience that I have cleared up for you. You can talk about righteousness and self-control and, and all that, but, and what you see is that Paul begins to understand this, and none of his words at this point are hasty. Paul thought through and understood exactly how he was going to get to Rome and why he was going there. So before we hit those last two chapters of Acts, let me take all these things and relate it to us in a way that I think we can understand it a bit better by talking about three things. Number one is detours. What detours has God brought into your life where you thought, this is my path, this is where I'm going, this is how I'm going to get over here, and then God comes and changes your direction? My, my friend Ryan spent years trying to get into the sheriff's department. He finally makes it, and then he goes to work and realizes he hates being a custody deputy. You know, maybe you're going in a direction and a business fell apart, or you got sick and lost your job and everything stopped, or maybe you wanted kids and you had a whole plan for how that was going to work out, and you ended up not being able to have kids, or you ended up being single. Is it possible to bear witness when your life takes a detour? The answer is yes, because all of our lives are detours. And so we speak about God wherever we are. And it doesn't have to be a negative. This could be a positive. Maybe you're in a job you thought was a dead-end job, and you end up becoming like CEO of the company. Is it possible to bear witness in the unexpected? Of course, because all of our life is the unexpected. This is why we trust God and his hugeness over us and what he speaks over us. And so what does that look like? It's like Paul speaking of the goodness of what God has done in our lives, exactly where we are, whatever season we are in. It can be so simple. We speak of his rescue of us from our faults and our failures, restored life and purpose. Again, too often we think it's got to be when I I got this job or I've got this relationship or I've got this thing, then I, I will testify. No, it's wherever we are. We are called to bear witness exactly where we are, exactly like we are in honesty. And that leads to, secondly, the simple message. It is a simple message, speaking God's truth where it needs to be spoken, how it needs to be spoken, and many times we can stop overcomplicating it. Yes, there are times we can talk about all these great theological deep things, but many times what we need to speak is simply the testimony of what God has done in our lives. Again, think of Paul, all the places that he was. When he gave his testimony, he listened to what people said and spoke his testimony in a way that connected where they were, which means witnessing is about speaking and about listening both. And, you know, if, you, if you look at Jesus' life, he did the same thing. He spoke and he listened. Too often, religious people, we think that we have all of the answers, and so we just try and speak louder and shout everybody else down. No, we need to listen. Again, Paul spoke and listened where he needed to, this life-changing message of God's redemption. So how is our posture towards those who are more powerful than us or less powerful than us? Those who we see as smarter than us and those who we see as dumber than us. Our primary orientation must be to testify to the kingdom of God by our own life saying, look at what he has done in me. And this brings us to number three. You see this clean or clear consciences that Paul speaks about. How do we bear witness? 
Well, we get to have a clean and a clear conscience again between us and God. God brings us between God and man. That is how we speak of the truth, of who we are and what God has done. We don't hide anything. We get to be honest about it as we live out the truth. Paul's words are, I strive always. That doesn't mean that God loves him by how hard he strives. He just says, I strive always. That means that he wants to continue to live in that clean conscience that God has given him. And so is there something in your life that needs to be cleaned up? God promises to clean you up, to give you this clear conscience because of what he has done. But do we live faithful to that call? Now, uh, a few years ago, they did this special on PBS. If you know me, I'm not a PBS guy. I don't normally watch it. But there was this thing about Bill Clinton. Uh, If you don't know Bill Clinton, he was president of the United States, husband of someone named Hillary. You probably know that. Anyway, uh, this was all about his presidency. He had a bunch of ups and downs in his presidency. An interesting thing they talked about, though, was that Bill Clinton would send pollsters out to poll America on any decision he made before he made it. And then there's this whole thing about uh, Monica Lewinsky, this girl he had an affair with in the White House, comes out and he starts to deny it. Everybody's seen the evidence. Everybody really knows what's going on. So what Bill Clinton does is he takes this pollster apparently and he sends him out and says, ask America, you know, are they, can they be more forgiving of an adulterer or a liar? He wants to know, is it better for him to keep lying or come clean? So the pollster comes back and apparently says, the American public can forgive you if you admit that you're an adulterer, but they will hold it against you if you are a liar. You know what he does? Keeps lying. That's what he does until it got out of hand, until it was just way too deep with, you know, cigars and blue dresses. And finally he admits, yes, I'm an adulterer. Now, most of us don't want to admit it, but most of us are, if we're honest, a lot like Bill Clinton. When we have done something stupid, we don't want to come clean. If we hurt somebody, we don't want to say, oh, yeah, I hurt you. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. We are always trying to manage other people's perception of who we are rather than coming clean between God and men. And we keep telling people different things depending on how much we think that they actually know. And yet the bottom of it all, our conscience won't let us go because we know. We are not clear and clean between God and men. And I will tell you what Paul says. If we want to bear witness, if we want to testify, there is hard soul searching work that needs to be done in honesty. Because a clear conscience is a powerful witness of God's redemption. A clear conscience is about our whole being, witnessing, being able to be honest about ourselves and what we have done before everybody else. I mean, what does Paul say? Oh, I kind of uh, hurt a few Christians here and there. No, I killed Christians. I pulled them out of their homes. This is what I did. And yet God comes and he redeems Paul, and Paul is honest enough to talk about his life. Paul will say his, in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he will talk about You know, not many of you are wise, most of you are foolish, most of you are this, it's all these things. And Paul goes, but God chose those foolish things to shame the wise. God stepped into where you are to rescue you where you are, and therefore when we boast, we don't boast in ourselves, we boast in the God who has rescued us. And what that means is we get to be honest about us. We are not strong enough, we are not clean enough. That's the message, but God cleans us. When you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul lists a bunch of things that people were involved in that weren't good. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is God that washes us. It is God that cleanses us. That is the result of the gospel. 
And what we get to do is walk in that cleansing. This is the kingdom of God operates upside down. It is not power for power. It is weakness that is power. It is Paul in prison testifying, not the rock star on a stage. It is Paul attacked by a mob. It is Jesus crucified that saves us. And it is our broken lives restored and redeemed. To that we bear witness through our detours with that simple message, with those clear consciences. And this is one of the things that is very hard for people to do in our world today. Simply to be honest with the simple message of what God has done to rescue and save us. And this is why our focus in our lives must be upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it is on ourselves, we will always hide ourselves. We will never be honest. We will not live out that simple message with a clean conscience in front of, in front of everybody. Every detour that comes our way, we'll get angry and shake our fist at God and say, Why are you doing this to me? Rather than saying, Okay, here's a detour. What do you want me to speak and how do you want me to live in this place? That is what a focus on the gospel brings. How do we live honoring God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in? Hashtag COVID. How do we do that? By understanding the gospel. And this is why at Element, you know, every week we, we speak about the beauty and the grace of what God calls us to when Jesus says, do this thing called communion in remembrance of me. What, what you do is you take a piece of bread and you take some wine or some grape juice, and one represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us, which is the bread or the cracker, and one represents his blood that was shed for us. It's a reminder we typically do on a weekly basis to remind us of what Jesus did to rescue us. Jesus died, so we didn't have to. He dies the death that we should have died. He lives the life that we should have lived in righteousness, and he gives his righteousness to us as a gift. And by giving us that righteousness, he cleans us up and restores us to relationship with God. That is the beauty of what the gospel brings. And when we fully understand that, we are a people who can live in full honesty before others. We don't need to hide ourselves because ourselves are fully known to God himself. And so we can speak of his good, rescuing grace to us. And I know... You're at home, and it's really weird maybe sometimes to take communion, but I would encourage you, if you would like to, you know, to, to do that. You can even pause right now and grab some bread and some juice and kind of just remember Christ's sacrifice for you in this moment. If you need prayer, uh, you can you know, put it on the side of the live stream if you're watching on YouTube, or if you'd like to send us an email, send an email to connect at ourelement.org. If you want someone to call and pray with you, we'd be more than willing to do that as well, because there's a lot of places and a lot of times in our lives we get so focused on ourselves and not upon the gospel that God has rescued us with, that good news of Jesus coming to save us. And if you need someone to pray with you, especially in the detours right now that God is taking our entire country through, you know, we, we'd love to pray with you. You know, we also give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every single week. Uh, there's a link on our website for that. Um, and I would encourage you guys, this week to maybe take some of the notes that will be attached to this message and you can ask one another you know, some of the questions that kind of come along with that. What detours have God, has God brought into your life? You know, how hard is it at times to speak that simple message with a clear conscience? Because we are always doing things that start to mar our conscience again. And so how do we keep that clean and clear between us and God and us and one another? By speaking that simple message of our own rescue and redemption. We are called to be in this earth God's ambassadors, meaning part of that is that we are the most open people that anybody should ever meet. 
honest about ourselves, our past, our future, our lives, about who we are, because that speaks of our own rescue, of what God has done for us. And that's what Paul does. He speaks that simple message no matter where he is. This is who I was. This is what God did in my life. This is what God promises to continue to do. And I want to live and testify to this for my entire life as long as it is. And hopefully, that is what we would say as well. Let's be a people who bear witness and testify to God's goodness in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would take us as a people and have us understand truly what the gospel is and does in our lives. That it wouldn't be a mental concept that we look at and say, yes, Jesus died for my sins, but it was something we take so deep internally that results in us understanding the clean conscience that we get to have before you. And by understanding that it only matters what you think about us, we can speak the simple message of our own redemption to everyone who is around us. Father, you have taken us and sent us into this world to be your ambassadors. And being your ambassadors means that we speak open and honestly like you have shown us ourselves. And that we would speak the words and the rescue that we have known to everyone around us. And so I ask that you would teach us how to do that in ways that honor you, honor those around us. Speak of the message of the good news that we would testify from where we are in our local areas to those around us and ultimately to the ends of the earth. No matter what that brings, that we'd be a people who lift you up in all things. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.